I'm just looking at the style guide and I'm just looking at these names and some of them, like, I think there's a topic for another day of just like, what the hell are these beers? <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode five of Hoppy Night in Canada. Calling in from Vancouver, my name's Dave. And calling in from Toronto, I'm John. How's it going, John? Oh, it's going pretty well. Toronto has decided that we don't get spring because it snowed yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, I saw some anger on Twitter about that. Not just from you. (laughs) Yeah, um, it's... It wasn't a pleasant experience. I'll just leave it at that. It's not exactly an endearing act that the city is putting us through. Yeah, there's nothing quite like, um, you know, pulling the winter coat back out when you've had it stored away for a month. Yeah, I'm starting to learn you just can't really put it away before, I don't know, June. Yeah. Which isn't exactly a great feeling. No, it was it's been smoking hot here for the last couple of weeks, but it's kind of gray and a little chilly today. It's supposed to be not so nice for the next, I don't know, into this weekend. So. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, I guess it's it's actually spring as opposed to a five-month summer, <laughs> which everyone seemed to think we were getting. Ah, uh, that would have been nice. Yeah, yeah, it would have been. All right, so on the show today, we have, we got a few things to cover. But first and foremost, getting into the shared beer that we have. So the beer style that we're drinking this week is Kolsch or Kolsch style beers. And the shared beer we have is the Steamworks Kolsch Lagered Ale from vancouver bc indeed now kolsch is a german style of beer originating in the cologne region of germany and interestingly the term kolsch and as john said it's a kolsch style ale or kolsch style beer the term kolsch similar to something like champagne is considered a protected geographical indication per eu law Essentially, you can't call a product a, a straight Kolsch unless it's brewed within a 50-kilometer zone around Cologne. That is fascinating because it's I, I knew a number of wine styles. I, I know that it's a big thing in wine, that there are a number of types of wine that are geographically protected terminology like that. Yeah. But with beer, I was actually kind of surprised because the only other thing I can think of that comes close are... Trappist beers, right? So you get certain styles of beer that are Abbey-style beers you'll see quite often from Mm -hmm. a number of different breweries, but it can only be called a Trappist beer, obviously, if it's actually made still in a Trappist monastery by monks. Yeah. So that was the only other thing that I thought came close to that. So I was interested to find out that, yeah, all all of the Kolsch that I see is actually just Kolsch-style. It's it's Kolsch-style. And Kolsch is kind of interesting. It's top-fermented at a warmer temperature, like a like an ale it's an ale yeast that's used and then it's cold conditioned for a certain amount of time so it's essentially treated like a lager after the ale style fermentation which i find interesting because there isn't really any other beer that i can think of this or any other beer style that i can think of this treated that way it makes it almost a hybrid beer so when i moved to ontario one of the first beers that i saw fairly commonly around is actually from Bose. So uh, we mentioned Bose Brewery last podcast when we were talking about collaboration beers. Their sort of standard beer is called Lugtread, and it, it is also a lagered ale. But yeah, since then, I've seen a few other lagered ale style beers in Ontario. I assume driven to some degree by the popularity of Lugtread and the sort of ubiquity of that beer. Yeah, that would make sense. But 
outside of Ontario and now knowing that that Kolsch is this style of beer, outside of that, I I can't really think of any other examples as well. The only one I can kind of think of, and this it's not it's not exactly the same, but is sort of the California Common style beer. Oh right, that's another. Yeah, I have often heard that one called a hybrid as well. So, the the most common example of the California Common is Anchor Steam. I don't know exactly what the their hybrid style is, but it is a a combination of lager and ale sort of conditioning. Hmm. So that's I guess it is kind of a spiritual or spiritual cousin to Kolsch or something. Anyway, traditional things about Kolsch they're all very light beers. I'm looking. I'm just looking at the Steamworks one that I have poured in a glass, and it looks. I if you handed to, handed it to me and told me it was a lager, told me it was a kokanee, I would believe you. Yeah. Oh, easily. They are they are yellow fizzy beer, kind of like a lawnmower sort of beer. But what comes from the the cold conditioning, they stay. They are they, sorry. They they're not as sweet kind of as the traditional American pale lagers, uh, which I think comes from the ale the warm fermentation and they're traditionally quite crisp flavor profile wise, which I think comes from the lagering. So it, to me, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Sounds good. All right, let's give, you want to give this a drink? Yeah, let's go for it. That's not bad. That's good. I like that. Yeah. I have to admit, this is just where my biases come in. Uh, I tend to avoid Kolsch's, when I see them on the shelf. And I think part of it is just pure ignorance that comes out of this. So for some reason, I associate Kolsch's and Pilsner's, and I know I don't like Pilsner's. And so in my head, I just go, eh, Kolsch's are pretty much the same thing. And I just write them off and I pass them by whenever possible. <laughs> so as it turns out, I'm probably mistaken in doing that. Uh, yeah, this is quite nice. Like you say, as far as the how it matches the style, it's pretty crisp. It's a little bit sweet, but not too much. And... There's that sort of hint of bitterness, but it's not an overly bitter or, or hoppy beer, obviously. So I don't, it is, no. it's, it's quite nice. It would match were the temperature warmer. I imagine this would be quite refreshing. Yeah, it's a good it's a good warm weather style of beer. I, I personally, I really like Kolsch's. Again, that could be because I like Pilsner's. But I, I mean, I just I think that Kolsch's are a good kind of crisp, lighter flavor beer. Like there's not a ton of flavor. It's not hoppy, like you said. It's a little kind of biscuity bready on the, I guess, the the, the malt profile. Mm -hmm. And it's a nice lighter style. The example that jumps out at me is several of the past years, I have gone to the Vancouver Aquarium does a chowder chowdown fundraiser, Pretty which good. is an, an ocean-wise fundraiser slash profile raise event where 12 or 14 good restaurants from around Vancouver and the area come in and make chowder that's all paired with craft beer. It's really fun. And I just remember last year, one of the better pairings was with Bridge Brewing's Kolsch to just go have this nice, crisp, slight edge of bitterness to cut through anything sort of rich and just like smooth finish. It was just at towards the end of the evening, it was just sort of that perfect beer of like, okay, it's not over. Not, nothing's going to overwhelm my palate. My palate's already kind of tired. That would be really nice, I think. And yeah, yeah. it's it seems like something that would pair well with certain types of food and and go pretty well that way. Yeah, it's not an overpowering flavor. So if you're having something like a, a white fish or even a chowder or something like that, it's got enough. It's going to have enough crisp bitterness to cut through 
the richness, but it's mm-hmm. also not going to overwhelm any of the flavors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like this. I would give this, I think, maybe a seven and a half out of ten. Yeah, I was actually going to go same. I think, um, again, not being terribly familiar with Kolsch as a style, I, just purely on the taste, it's pretty nice, pretty refreshing. Yeah, enjoyable for sure. Yeah. Next, I think we were going to continue the new segment that we started last week and talk about sort of some favorite beer that you had since we last spoke, basically, since we last recorded. Yeah. Uh, So Dave, what do you got? Well, I think probably the listeners who I think probably all know us at this point, all of of the listeners are going to laugh at this because I'm going to talk about another Parallel 49 beer. (laughs) Just two weeks ago, they released, not even two weeks ago, 10 days ago, they released their new a new Radler. We talked about Radlers a couple of episodes ago being spring summer beers, specifically summer beers. Parallel 49 for the last couple of years has had the tricycle Radler, which is wildly popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a grapefruit Radler. Nine or ten days ago, they just released their a Meyer lemon version of the tricycle. Oh, nice. And it's really good. It's it's more sour, like or it's more citric like citrus acidy than the tricycle like the original tricycle the grapefruit one is very grapefruity but not not as sort of sour mm-hmm. and this one's the meyer lemon comes through in a much well i mean lemon is just natural is you know it, the lemon flavor is more sour than a grapefruit flavor especially uh, red grapefruit flavor and so this one's it's a little bit more sour but it's really 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 delicious very nice yeah so that one's that one's mine. The uh, tricycle. They, they they don't have a different name for it. It's just tricycle lemon and tricycle grapefruit. So my highlight beer for this episode is the tricycle Meyer lemon Rattler. Pretty good. And you? So the one that I had this week, which I really liked, was from Great Lakes Brewery. So Great Lakes is out of. I've mentioned them before. They're out of, I think, technically Mississauga, but they're greater Toronto area. They make quite a few IPAs of different stripes uh, and different kinds, and they've just released a new one called uh, Octopus Wants to Fight. <laughs> okay. And I had it, and it was excellent. So this is their, their, they've done a wider release of it out to the LCBO, which is really nice. Um, they have... They have a series of beers that are usually available only at the brewery itself called their Tank 10 series. And that tends to be where they try out new recipes. They do um, sort of sometimes more uncommon styles or things that they won't, maybe won't sell as well to a wider audience, I guess. Okay. But every now and again, something is successful enough in their Tank 10 series that they elevate it. So they still keep a Tank 10 label on it, but they actually do a wider release and it tends to get out to the LCBO and things like that. So I don't really know whether this is a seasonal or they're adding it to their regular lineup or what but i had it and it was super delicious it was one of those sort of really almost kind of fruity really juicy ipas nice nice yeah just really nice i had it on one of the rare sunny days that we had in the last couple weeks and i just went and sat on my patio and had it and it was wonderful delicious so Pretty good. And cool. yeah, if you like IPAs and you're in the Toronto area, I would highly recommend checking them out. They're still, as far as I can tell, pretty widely available at the LCBO. Excellent. Pretty good. Cool. So on to a brand new segment of the of the podcast. We have our first ever mailbag question. Yeah, we got an email. So 
our email comes from uh, a guy named Thomas, who's from uh, San Diego, although he lives in Los Angeles. He does also happen to be my brother, so there's that. But Thomas had a question, which I actually thought would be would be kind of fun to talk about. So his question is as follows. Given that I will be in both of your cities soon for short trips, parenthesis, wedding season, I got to wondering which new or new-to-me beers from the area I should make an effort to sample. As the, here's a little praise for us, as the literal resident experts, what do you think? <laughs> what would you say are the must-drink local beers for the Thirsty Traveler? Okay, well, first, I'm just going to brush my shoulder off a little bit here, congratulate myself on being a local expert. There you go, leveled up. Expert. <laughs> I mean, my rec- my first recommendation when you're coming to Vancouver if you're not, well, I would say two recommendations. My first recommendation is always going to be go to go to the alibi room. But that's kind of cheating <laughs> because then you are you have a whole bunch of I – mean, the alibi room, as we've discussed many times, is just one of the best beer bars in the world. So that's kind of cheating. If we're talking just breweries here, the one I always recommend is Brass Neck, which we've talked about a little bit. It's owned by the same people as the alibi room. They only do – the only like takeaway beer you can get is in Growler Fills. They have a tasting room, which is all almost always near or at capacity. It's got something like a fifty-five person capacity. The, the couple times I've been when I've been back to Vancouver, it is almost always packed. Yes, yes, it is always busy. But they make some of the best beer in Vancouver, if not the best beer in Vancouver. So definitely. I recommend people to go to Brass Neck. Parallel 49, which is not, of course, that new. Uh, always, it's uh, it's always a good time down at the Tasty Room as well. Uh, and they're putting out new beers all the time. And the one interesting thing from them recently has been, and this has been pretty much like every time I, every time I've been out of the tasting room recently, which is a couple times in the last few months, um, they seem to have a couple of beers that are on tap just for the tasting room, hmm. which is kind of new for them. It's always been, you know, you went to the tasting room and they had their standards. They had old boy, they had paparazzi, they had gypsy tears, and then they had whatever sort of their seasonals were. Um, but it seems as though they've always got now one or two taps that are just for the tasting room and i don't know maybe whether they're ones that they're kind of trialing to see if they'll be commercially successful um or if it is just the idea of you know let's have a couple of things that are special just to that you have to come in here to get yeah kind of to entice you to actually drop by and visit because i mean they have pretty wide distribution so it's easy to pick up their standards and i guess in the face of that it might be a nice it's a nice sort of treat you know you you get to come in try some unique thing that they're only ever going to have in the tasting room itself yeah Exactly. Exactly. My next recommendation, I mean, a recommendation if somebody has an afternoon in Vancouver to be looking to be drinking beer, my recommendation is to rent a bicycle and ride to the breweries in East Van. So if you would start at Parallel 49, there's Doan right around the corner. You've got Powell Street down the road. And then the the next brewery I was going to highlight which is just up the street from powell street is callister so again callister would be sort of stop number four if you're doing a a east to west tour and callister is unique because it's a sort of a brewing co-op 
that's the name of the place. I know because you took me there when when I was last in Vancouver, and I have not been able to remember the name of it since. So yep. thank you, actually, for pointing that out because now I can remember it. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing about Callister is they have a brew space and they have four different brands currently operating out of the brew space. And outside of Callister brand themselves, the other three are, I guess, leaseholders. I had originally thought that it was a co-op and everybody had bought in, but I believe how it's actually working is that there is the Callister brand that is the sort of are the owners and then everyone else is leasing space or leasing time and space at the brew shop. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And everything was on one year leases. So the, th- the, f- the three other brands that were there this year were Machine Brewing, Brewery Creek, and Real Cask. And Brewery Creek and Machine Brewing are both ending, are giving up their leases. And there are two new brands, I guess, taking their places. I'm not sure exactly when the transition is. My understanding was that machine brewing was looking for a space for them to set up shop and which is which would be really cool because they make some of the best ipas in vancouver yeah cal Callister is definitely on the list and then if you continue on the tour there's bomber brewing is worth a stop uh off the rail is worth a stop sometimes they've got a cool tasting room if nothing else um and then strange fellows is also always worth a stop and I'm going to, even though I don't live in Vancouver, I'm going to second Strange Fellows because yes. that place was great. Yes, Strange Fellows is excellent. From there, if you're making your way west, you get back to the Brewery Creek District. It depends on how many, how how long your bike rental is you have for and how many beers you want to could you have. But there's, always, <laughs> there's the Red Truck Brewery and 33 Acres and Brass Neck, as we already discussed. And the R&B Brewery is opening up a tasting room. I don't know if they have yet or not. So... That that is my recommendation for, <laughs> for drinking beer in Vancouver is to get a bicycle and ride your bike around. Get um, a bike, do a tour. But I guess I guess outside of going to the Alibi Room, my quintessential list of places to drink beer in Vancouver would start at Brass Neck and then have would also contain in no specific order Callister, Parallel Forty Nine, Powell Street and strange fellows that would be my top five i think excellent cool that's a pretty comprehensive list and for you so a lot of the places actually i was trying to think about places to recommend and a lot of them end up being either they had the brewery has an attached restaurant or they're a brew pub to begin with or various things like that so the, a lot of them uh are a lot of the places operate as restaurants as well as breweries and they usually have an attached bottle shop and things like that so in that realm and, and talking about places that are established in Toronto. So they've been here for a few years. Uh, I mention them every episode, but Bellwoods, Bellwoods is great. The other one that I would recommend is Indie Alehouse, which I've also, uh, from the Belgian wit episode, the wit beer that I drank was from Indie Alehouse. They're both out on the sort of West end of Toronto. So someone who's clever at marketing is trying, I guess, to, to rebrand a portion of the West end of Toronto as the brewery district it's it's called the junction right so yeah part of it so the the so-called brewery district starts at the junction which is like the northwest part of what you can consider downtown toronto and the brewery district 
so-called. The, the rough boundaries, as far as I understand, go south from there pretty much to the waterfront and then east out to about, if you're familiar with Toronto, to about Ossington Avenue, uh, about Trinity Bellwoods Park uh, is the area. And, and as far south as, I guess, yeah, Queen Street, but getting close to the water. That area is where a lot of the new breweries are starting to open up. So places that have uh, sort of smaller, they're not established yet, so they're they're either just getting started or they have a smaller brewing space and they're looking for bigger space or things like that. But that seems to be the area where a lot of the smaller breweries are popping up. So, okay, so we got Indie Ale House. Definitely recommend. Their food is amazing. Uh, their beer is really good. Bellwoods. <laughs> vote of confidence from the Toronto side podcast assistant. Okay, so there's a couple of established places, a couple of the newer places, one of which uh, I actually just got to go to and they just opened is Bandit Brewery. So I got to go to their opening day, which was one, maybe two weeks ago. So they are brand new and they're out on the sort of far west end of, of downtown Toronto. Their selection is really good. They had, I think, six or seven beers to start with, a lot of lighter beers in terms of alcohol, a couple of varied styles. They had like a smoked porter and they had a couple of different German styles. They had a Saison, I think, all of which were very good. I would definitely recommend checking them out. So Bandit Brewing, interestingly enough, their brewmaster is a UBC alumnus who, while at UBC, worked with the Vancouver side podcast assistant. Uh, and his name is Ben, and he's an extremely nice guy. So people in Toronto, go visit Bandit, support Ben. Pretty good. Yeah, highly recommend. Um, what else have we got? I feel like I had a couple other things I've completely... Oh, that's right. Okay, so uh, another one that's new to me. Um, I've had their beer a couple of times. I went out to their bottle shop once. It's a place called Burdock. Okay. So it's a restaurant and music hall and brewery. Oh, nice. So they do live music, as far as I know, seven nights a week. Their restaurant is apparently pretty good. Their beers are fantastic. So when I went, they had, I think, three different styles of Saison. So they had a dark Saison, a session Saison, and then a sort of standard European style Saison going. Brilliant. Um, I saw they recently they had a, a Key Lime Goza. Cool. So they've got, they, they're, they're doing a bunch of varied styles. They're really good. Highly recommend checking them out. There are a couple of places that I've been to. They're a bit off the beaten path. They're, so they're a little bit harder to get to. But Rainhard Brewing is on the far west end. They do a lot of hoppier beers. They're really good. On the far other side of town, on the east end of Toronto, there's Leftfield Brewing. Okay. Leftfield is... I'm very charmed by Leftfield. They're very consistent. Like, their branding is is all baseball-themed, and it's super consistent. So their, their beers, they have a beer called Maris, uh, Farm Team, Prospect, Wrigley, First and Third grandstand like it's just all oh, it's all baseball amazing. stuff and it's a lot of fun like i guess the the uh the owners are big baseball fans and also beer fans and so they're like their website you go and look at the beer selection it says starting lineup and things it's just it's a very charming thing but their beer is also very good good stuff that sounds so good. yeah so they're a little bit off the beaten path but they're well worth checking out. Their beer is becoming more available on tap at bars around the city as well. So if you can't make it out there, at least, you can probably track them down in the city. The last spot that I was going to point out is actually a place that I haven't been to in its current incarnation, but I really want to go. There's a there's a brew pub and bottle shop called Folly. 
Okay. They so they existed in a previous incarnation called Habits, and it was a gastropub. And then they decided to start a nano brewery in the restaurant. And so when I went, which would have been maybe a year and a half ago now, they only had one beer. And they were just getting off the ground at their nano brewing. And I guess they closed down, rebranded, expanded their brewing operations. And they opened a bottle shop as well. And so they're, now they're called Folly. As far as I understand, again, the, the food is pretty good from what I know. And the beer, by all accounts, is fantastic. I've seen cool. nothing but good things about them. I have not actually had a chance to go. But by all accounts, they're, they're easily becoming a, a, a sort of don't miss beer spot in Toronto. Right on. Very cool. So yeah, I think that's uh, hopefully sufficiently answers the question of where to go visit. Yep, there's a lot. There's a lot of spots actually. It was funny. I I hadn't necessarily given Toronto a lot of credit recently, but it's been there have been a lot of new places that are opening up recently, especially again in that sort of west end of Toronto. That I don't know. It's not as big as Vancouver, but there seems to be a pretty steady growth of of new breweries and a lot of places that are producing pretty good beer. So. Well, well, it sounds it sounds to me like it's you know it's it's closing the gap, and also what it sounds like is that uh, there's a lot more brew pubs, and that's one thing that Vancouver sorely lacks. Yeah, and that comes down to the fact that in Vancouver the licensing issue is such that if you want to open a brew pub, it's or it is the licensing issue is such that a brew pub is considered to be liquor primary. So to open a brew pub, you have to have a year of community consultation around the space so you got to put that big white sign up that says you know proposal like licensing proposal this this with all of the information and you've got to hold uh uh consultations with the surrounding residents and it's a huge i mean it's a huge undertaking to to have a space sitting empty for a year before getting your liquor license yeah so yeah, it's it's uh, that's that's why the city of city of Vancouver proper has all of three brew pubs. Yeah, that's it. It seems to be. It's funny because it seems like Toronto definitely wins out with. There's a lot more brew pubs, and and a lot of places to their credit really do focus on putting together a good food menu as well as as making good beer. The thing that we lack is just more casual tasting rooms. So for the most part, if you're going to go to most of the breweries that I just named, you're actually going to need to, you know, talk to a server and get a seat and check a menu and things like that. And there's less, not that they don't exist, like Leftfield and Reinhardt, two of the ones that I mentioned, are actually just straight up tasting rooms. But a lot of places seem to be going that sort of brew pub route or having a, a menu that's beyond just a couple of snacks. Yeah. 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 Cool. I guess on to our topic of the episode uh, i'll let you introduce it all right so this actually came up when i was picking up the kolsch samples that we were going to have during this episode so we decided on steamworks and i went and I picked that up and i was at the lcbo and i was looking at the sort of local or ontario offerings for kolsch style beers and not really knowing the style i didn't know where to turn so i just started Googling the various different beers to try and see what uh, the internet thought of how they were. And I got nowhere fast because there's, I think all three that I Googled had about a 3.3 to 3.4 out of 5 rating on a number of different websites. And it was no help at all because there's no differentiating factor as far as I could tell. 
So, but it did start me thinking about the notion of beer ratings. And it's funny because we just sort of settled into, you know, rating things out of 10 and we give it sort of a quarter point range, usually half point range. And I started getting curious about how other places do it and especially connecting back to one of the things we talked about, the desire to sort of learn more about beer in a formal sense. Uh, I got curious about how formal programs like uh, beer awards and the the beer judge certification program, what they suggest in terms of putting together ratings and the things to actually look for and the, the process by which you rate a beer. So I got kind of interested in that. And um, I did a little bit of research and have some results. Uh, but yeah, I, I, Dave, do you have anything to, to add to that? Well, I when when you proposed this, uh, this topic, it kind of got me thinking about sort of how wine ratings work because mm-hmm. like you said most places in terms of beer ratings it's all sort of out of five or out of ten or something like that you know untapped uses the out of five by the quarter places like rate beer or beer advocate do the out of five on a you know aggregate score to the one decimal place range. And it kind of made me think about a conversation I had had with a friend about wine previously in that, I mean, most, most wine rating systems are out of a hundred, but as my friend put it to me, it's essentially a 20 point scale from 80 to a hundred. Interesting. Because no one's ever going to review a wine that's going to score under 80. You like you never see a wine score given that's under eighty. So it's more of a you know, a twenty point scale going from eighty to a hundred as opposed to an actual out of one hundred thing. And I'm sure there are some wines, probably homemade ones, that would score on a lot of people's <laughs> scale of a thirty. But, you know, in terms of production wines, it's all an inflated twenty point scale, basically. And thinking about it, I don't feel as much that way about beer. In that there are some beers that I've had that aren't very good and that I would rate like a three. Yeah. I can think of a couple of beers that I've had that I, on our 10 point scale, I would rate a three or a two or something like that. Yeah, I can think of a couple off the you top know, of my I, head. You know, I would give something a 20% or something like that, but that just doesn't happen in the wine world as much. And I don't know what that, like, I don't know where that comes from, whether that's about sort of the prestige of wine, whether it's not worth wine reviewers time to try bad wines it's Um, possible yeah that's actually that's a really interesting point because yeah the i mean the other thing obviously that would come up with with wine as well as beer is the notion of personal taste versus matching the style right like how well a given say beer that you're drinking matches the style that it's going for versus how much you just sort of like it which i feel like a lot of especially with the the proclivity of like you say websites like rate beer and beer advocate and apps like untapped i will freely admit that the vast majority of things when i rate things as well as on this show are, are largely just based on how i personally react to them i'm not trying to judge it in any formal sense beyond how did i like it and and what did i like about it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is actually one of the night it's funny I'm, i'm looking at rate beer right now for the, for the Steamworks Kolsch. And one of the things that it seems to do is it splits. I'm curious how they accomplish this, but they give two scores. They give an overall score, and then they give a score for the style. 
Yeah. Now, I'm not really sure what that means in terms of when people submit a rating, if you do two separate sets, like one is personal taste and one is matching the style. But I, I'm, I'm curious to know where those two scores come from. Yeah, I don't know. I can't I can't answer that. Um, but I have seen that before where it's kind of and I can't remember. There was one beer I was looking at where it had something like a 90 percent by the style score but like a 55 overall <laughs> score. Yeah, you you think you'd run into those where you're just like this beer isn't very good, but it's it matches the style very good, which I guess well, means that you don't like the style very much. Yeah, you know, I mean, you're going to have some American pale lagers that are like, "Mm, yeah, that sure does taste like Budweiser." <laughs> 45. Yeah, pretty much. The so the interesting so so I went looking to try and see as far as I can tell, a lot of the websites, Beer Advocate and Rate Beer, both have rating systems that seem to be based off of the Beer Judge Certification Program kind of formal rating system. Okay. And so there's they split into multiple categories. This is from the BJCP website. Um, it's a score out of 50, and you there are five categories. One is aroma, which you rate out of... So each category you rate out of a different number of points. So aroma is rated out of 12. Appearance is rated out of three. Flavor is out of 20. Mouthfeel is out of five. And then the overall impression, which I guess is just how much you like it, is 10 out of 10. Okay. Which I found really interesting because you want to rate on multiple components, but they weight differently. Obviously, the, the flavor is the most important. Overall impression and aroma are sort of the next ones. And then minor points for things like appearance and, and mouthfeel. <laughs> which for the record i'm just gonna read this because i feel like we've we've mentioned the term a couple times if you don't know the official bjcp website says mouthfeel is a comment on body carbonation warmth creaminess astringency and other palate sensations <laughs> so there you go there you go so uh so yeah I, I, I went digging and it looks like you know rate beer and beer advocate both calculate their scores slightly differently but they seem to be very much based on that same split of multiple categories and different weightings for each category and that would make sense i mean the bjcp guide is available in pdf form online and it's something like 80 pages long so i definitely we definitely can't get into all of the things for you know each style but I mean, yeah, the guide is online. It says these are what you're supposed to expect from this style of beer. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. Like reading up on this stuff, I, I always find quite interesting in that it's, it gives, I feel like for me as sort of rank amateur who enjoys beer, it it's fun to read up on this sort of stuff in that it gives a guideline through which I can then used to try new beers and things like that not in necessarily a formal sense like i'm not going to sit down with this like one page pdf form that i'm staring at and like score beers when i drink them but knowing these sort of overall categories and there's like a list of descriptors and definitions on the side of things that you can you can uh check off i guess if you're actually formally judging a beer and it's it's kind of cool to have resources like this if only because then it can inform even in a sort of less formal way the way that i try and evaluate beer yeah absolutely and the, the so the, the bjcp style guide i guess is interesting the 2015 update has 34 different categories which is i mean kind of seems like a lot to me but under each of them there are different subcategories and so if we just look at BC, bjcp category one 
it's standard American beer. And so 1A is American light lager. 1B is American lager. 1C is cream ale. And 1D is American wheat beer. (laughs) And to me, like I understand why they're grouped that way. But if someone were running a competition um, and the, the, the point of the, of the BJCP is to is sort of for brewing competition or beer competitions. If someone were, were doing a competition and they weren't doing subcategory styles, and I've seen that. I know there's lots of homebrew competitions around Canada and they don't, you know, you just, if you did one for all of the styles or for like all of the subcategories, you'd have, I'm not interested in counting, but you would have, you would definitely have more than a hundred different categories, which doesn't make sense to me. So I think, I suspect that they generally do just like an American, a standard American beer category. So BJCP category one, it just seems odd to me that an American light lager would be competing against an American wheat beer. Yeah, that, that seems really odd. And it seems, yeah, the, the the overall categorization seems to help, but I would imagine that, yeah, if you're not getting into these... Sorry, I'm just looking at the PDF right now. Some of the subcategories are quite different from one another. Like you say, I mean, the easy... Yeah, like American wheat beers versus American light lagers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, you look at category 13 is brown British beer. So 13A is a dark mild. 13B is a British brown ale. 13C is an English porter. Those are all kind of similar beers. Yeah, those would be quite, those make sense to sit in a category sort of similar to one another. Yeah. I, I find the whole thing really interesting from that sort of amateur perspective of, of just looking at, yeah, the, 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 the idea of categorizing beer and then rating beer within those categories to try and determine, yeah, how, how well does this match a specific style? Mm-hmm. Um, especially when, I mean, I, I feel like it's been a constant of the things we've been talking about, but you know, learning about new and different styles of beer is a lot of fun. Uh, but there's also that thing of, if you have nothing to compare it against, then yeah. I'm trying to think of a good example and nothing comes to mind, but I'm sure there's been at least one where like, I've tried a beer and really liked it and thought that I liked the style. And then it turns out that it's, you know, completely unrepresentative of the vast majority of other beers that label themselves as such. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I, I like, like you said, I'm sure that I've had that experience too, but I'm having trouble pulling one off the top of my head. The uh, well, the, I mean, one that comes to mind is is actually almost the flip side, where uh, anyone who drinks an Alexander Keith's, which says it's uh, an IPA, is going to have a rude awakening when they drink a real IPA. Yeah, that's and, true. And yet, according to the label on the can. You know, it it is theoretically the same style as many other beers that you see out there, but but when you try it, it's going to be very different. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. I find the whole I don't know if I have any larger conclusions to draw about it, but I find the whole thing very interesting. And especially when it ultimately comes down to things like as we drink beer on the podcast and and give it a rating, trying to factor in sort of all of these different things. How aware am I of the style and? you know, how do all these different factors when it comes to things like aroma and taste. And I'd love the category overall impression for some reason. It's just like, <laughs> uh, how do I feel about this? Uh, six out of 10. Like, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's interesting how all this stuff, this sort of body of knowledge kind of pushes and informs. And then how do you distill that to just a number? Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's uh, the, the one thing that I find that's funny. Cause like I use untapped to track beer that I've had over time. And and to some degree I just find it fun cuz as you 
have it for a couple of years and you start to kind of you build up this sort of archive of things that you've tried at one point or another. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing it's funny, actually, coming back to what you said about wine, Untapped feels very similar sometimes where the rating is almost always between a three and a four. And if it's below a three, you probably don't want to drink it. And if it's above a four, you want to seek it out. Because the way that internet aggregated ratings seem to work is everything just sort of pushes towards that middle kind of 3.5 rating. And the variance is only really like how far away from a 3.5 are you, either above or below. Yeah. And that's I think that that kind of, that is a little bit similar to the sort of the inflated scale for the wine, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of that thing of, well, nothing's ever below 80. Yeah. So if you if you see a wine that's ranked eighty one, maybe it's not going to be the best. Yeah. So yeah, and and just having to know that coming in almost. Um, yeah. Because if you came in, you didn't know. You said eighty out of a hundred. That's a pretty good score. Yeah. So that I think that's I would say that's probably a pretty good little discussion about the uh, r- r- beer rating systems. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and it's funny because you know as we've been saying, like to each their own. Drink what you like, but I I do find it interesting to. As we've been going with this, I, I have tried to make it a point, even though I use things like Untap, to when I try a beer, I'll think about it, I'll kind of give it a score in my head, and then I'm always curious as to where it falls in comparison with other things. Yeah. Like like what the score is on Untapped and, and Rate Beer and things like that. Yeah. I do, if, if uh, any of the listeners have been to our website, first, I'm sorry, because I keep meaning to make it better, and I keep... Uh, getting busy and not doing it. But uh, I do include links for the beers that we try to the Rate Beer, Beer Advocate, and Untapped uh, pages for those beers, as well as the actual, when possible, linking to the brewery website itself. So you can check out if you're either just listening or if you're trying a beer while you listen to it, you can always go to the website and check out how it compares to our scores and also how it compares to what you think of it. Mm-hmm. Very much. So, Cool. So now we're getting into our our individual Kolsch-style beers. From the West Coast, I moved outside of Vancouver a little bit for this one. I got from Red Arrow Brewing, which is a new brewery in Duncan, British Columbia, which for those of you who don't know, is halfway between Nanaimo and Victoria on the island. The beer is called Custom Kolsch, and that is custom with a K. Red Arrow is brand new, only open about six months, I think. And I, this will be the first beer I try from them. I've heard good things about the brewery. I have not had a chance to go there yet, despite the fact that I drive from Nanaimo to Duncan at least twice a year. <laughs> well, that's really good. That is really, really, really good. It's an excellent... I mean, it's got it's the same sort of bright yellow, stark, startlingly clear color. It's... Not not much on the nose, but not much to be expected. And it is very crisp, has a little bit of bitterness, and a nice dry finish. That's really good. Nice. I would give that probably an 8 out of 10. Pretty good. Yeah. Not so bad. what have you got, John? So uh, this episode, I've got the track layers Kolsch from junction craft brewing so this is another brewery from out in the junction the neighborhood we were just mentioning i actually it's interesting i i didn't think they had a tasting room but i'm looking on the can and it says craft brewery tasting room and beer store and gives the address for it so there you go my mistake yeah i mean 
So on pour, it looks very, very similar. That same, like you say, very clear, very pale uh, look to it. But I'll give it a try. That's actually really nice. Yeah? Yeah, it's crisp. It's quite dry and definitely has that same, the thing that you were mentioning with steamers with that sort of almost kind of biscuity malty flavor. Mm-hmm. It's got that even more strongly, I would say. So it's a nice. real, it's that really sort of malt forward flavor. Yeah, but still has that sort of crispness and and lightness to it that makes it really refreshing. But the malt kind of makes it a bit more flavorful, I would say, and interesting than the than the steamworks. Yeah, I think that's one thing I like about Kolsch's is that they're a more malt forward beer that isn't sweet. Mm-hmm. A lot of maltier, a lot of your maltier style beers, if they aren't, you know, your stout, your roasted malt like stout porter, a lot of the malty forward beers are just a little bit too sweet for my taste. Yeah. That, you know, that's one of the reasons I don't like brown ales and a, and a lot of like sort of red amber ales is that if they don't have a good amount of bittering hops, they end up being kind of like sticky, sort of cloyingly sweet. Yeah. And the Kolsch allows, like Kolsch beers allow the malt profile, to, the malt flavor to be there without being sweet. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And and especially in this one, it, it, like compared to the Steamworks, the Steamworks Kolsch was, was nice, a little bit sweet, sweeter, I would say, than the one that I currently have. Okay. Um, this one is, yeah, it's a little bit more bitter and it's definitely much maltier than the Steamworks. Cool. But in a really nice way. I would probably go 8 out of 10 on this. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, very cool. I think that that pretty much brings us to a close for this episode. I think so, too. Listeners, don't forget to rate us on iTunes or whatever other podcast service you listen to. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google Music, I think. Because I registered with us and then I got an email last week saying, hey, you're on Google Music now, so... Hey, there you go. Cool. Yeah, look us up there, I guess. I haven't looked us up on there, but I'll trust the email. And we're on Twitter. Give us a follow, at HoppyNightCA. Send us an email if you have a question that you want answered. Yeah, it's HoppyNightInCanada at gmail.com. Check out the website, HoppyNight.ca. That's the one. Sooner or later, I will get around to making it look uh, even nicer. (laughs) All right. Uh, Thanks for listening. This has been Episode 5 of Hoppy Night in Canada. All right. Talk to you later. Talk to you later, John. Cheers.